<laughs> so welcome back to Wandering Into Wellness. Hey guys. So uh, today we're here with Jane Oyger. Jane is uh, a GP. Um, she's just currently completing her um, PhD in Compassionate Medicine. And she, well, we sort of bumped into each other in my shop, the Hopsack in, in, in Rathmines there a, a few weeks ago. And I don't even know how we started chatting about it, but as soon as I heard what you were doing, the hairs were up in the back of my neck because it's such a fascinating area and it's something that we're really aware that there's becoming, there's this great dividing line between the medical profession and the general public. And that gap as it increases is so deleterious for, for health and for our healthcare system. And I, I was just amazed to hear that somebody was engaged in this. And it's not just you, but you're like, there's a, a community of people who are all interested in engaging this. So maybe can you tell us a little bit about where this idea of this PhD has come from and what, what fueled you towards, drove you towards that maybe? Mm, yeah, sure. Um, well, I guess uh, I was, I, I'm Canadian originally and I was uh, working in Canada. And um, at that time I had two very young girls. Uh, I was doing some coursework in a master's. I was practicing as a um, GP and doing a lot of work with care of the elderly. And um, you know, I was pretty tired. <laughs> I was exhausted and I was trying to look at ways to kind of um, keep my resilience up and, mm. uh, and and take care of myself while I was taking care of everybody else. Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, my brother gave me a fantastic book one Christmas called Medicine and Compassion. And it was a conversation basically between a, um, uh, a Buddhist monk uh, and uh, a physician who uh, had been working in Nepal. Uh, and um, I realized, you know, actually there is a common theme in everything I'm doing in my life and it is about compassion and that's what I need to really kind of uh, nurture in myself mm. in order to keep all these things going well, you yeah. know. It's like an inside-outside -outside kind of practice, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, nice. And um, so that kind of got me interested and as I was doing this master's um, and I had to come up with a thesis topic, I thought, you know, I really am interested in this. I feel like I could read for days, <laughs> weeks, months on this and that is a good kind of PhD topic yeah, to yeah, choose because yeah. you're going to be doing a lot of that. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of how it started. Um, and uh, from there, I, uh, I we moved to Ireland shortly after yeah. that and uh, I was not practicing as a GP here uh, mm -hmm. just because of the difficulty with getting my qualifications oh, yeah, recognized. So I had lots of time to think about my PhD or my at that time my master's work okay. and um, so I ticked along being a mom and doing this and yeah. uh, completed my master's work and came up with some great stuff yeah. uh, then went back into working in mostly in medical education and thought you know what I love the stuff that I came up with but I feel like I haven't really done enough to help people kind of apply it okay. like really yeah. to be able to make the impact that uh, it, it's worth yeah and so that's when I decided to go back and do the PhD okay and so here I am Great. and I'm really still I still have a long ways to go on the PhD yeah. but um, so, so, what, so what you've seen sorry what, what you've seen in terms of like where we're at in terms of compassion medicine now the pressure within the health service to see multiple mm. people to deal with volumes how uh, here's a tiny question for you. How do you reconcile that <laughs> with, the, with the need for compassion and the need for that bedside manner? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think this is one of the, the difficulties is that there is there is so much pressure on GPs and, and other physicians to, you know, see people quickly mm. uh, and they're dealing with, you know, they're, they're getting frustrated because even if they want to get things, you know, done for their patients, they're they're frustrated because they can't actually get the services that they want. So there's, you know, time pressures and there's there's a, an inability to act on the stuff that they they feel on their own instinct and what they feel is right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there are a lot of systems things, but I think that what that says is like, wow, we need even more resilience as physicians now to be able to to um, be able to provide really compassionate care in a, in this sort of difficult situation. Yeah. So yes, there are things that we need to do on the outside, uh -huh. but I guess a lot of what I'm looking at is what can we do on the inside within ourselves and mm. within our small little community of our little practice yeah. where, you know, when people are walking in the door uh, to our uh, practice 
like are they getting this feeling of compassion right away or are they feeling pressure time stress you know so a lot of my ph d focuses on what actually happens when you walk in the door ok and is it you know it's not just the physician and patient but it's also the receptionist yeah it's the space that you're in and how can all of that you know what's the best way that we could do all of that given that we are living and working in kind of a stressful situation yeah there's constraints there's always going to be constraints yeah so like have you found in Ireland I mean obviously you're you're from Canada but you're you've been here for say 11 years 12 years 12 years yeah so like most of your work wow that's a very low plane sorry is he landing in the park? Wow. Anyway, oh sorry, God. excuse me. Um, but yeah, so have you seen like a significant difference between the relative appetite for that type of compassion care and that thought process in Canada versus in Ireland? Have you, uh, do you mm. like culturally, are we on the same page? Would you say? Um, I think uh, I think Ireland, because it's a smaller place, uh, tends to kind of. Uh, maybe be a little bit a, a, a little bit slower maybe okay. in, in in coming on board like I, I kind of feel that the system here is a little more traditional okay. mm-hmm. um, but um, at the same time I think Irish people are very open actually mm-hmm. uh, you know like you see things how much Ireland has changed in the yeah. la- in the 12 years that yeah. I've been here they are, you know, Irish people are just incredible that way. That's um, that, uh, so I, I, I don't think that that's um, uh, a stumbling block okay. in a lot of ways. Um, but are there things we could we could maybe be looking at defying from Canadian medical systems? Are there specific things that you're kind of like you see this would be a, like a good first step sort of thing from a system point of view? Yes. Or? Well, I guess kind of the big thing is in Canada we have uh, universal health care. Yeah. So that okay. that would be <laughs> that would be uh, you know a, a big a big thing. Yeah. And I know you know there are huge number of GPs here that would like to see that happen mm. but it is a challenge financially you know to get that kind of thing going I mean universal health care is a huge financial um, yeah. burden on the country yeah. it's amazing how because I grew I well a part of my childhood I grew up in England and um, Should have place. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in everywhere but anyway. <laughs> uh, and yeah you just take it for granted my friends that are still in England or even my parents you know when I'm talking about going to a GP or this thing needs to happen or I need to go to the dentist or all these mm. different things and I'm like yeah but that's going to cost this or that's going to mm. cost this or and they're always like what what do you mean this yeah. going to cost that amount of money and mm. it's so ingrained in England that you yeah. just go to the GP when you're sick and then mm. of course you're going to go whereas here you're kind of you know when you're you have a young family and you've got pressures and financial pressures you're thinking do I really need to go that 60 quid you know it's a lot in in a family budget and and that's a that's a problem because it's a deterrent I mean now we have the free under six care which is Mm. huge Mm. because when you get a little person you're kind of going ooh, I don't want to be the person who's always there and in in fairness I'm not that person but there are people who are kind of worried and anxious about it but they wouldn't go because they don't want to just keep dropping 60 euros and now Mm. that you can go and go actually just not sure about this Mm. I'll just make sure that's a huge thing but we need that to carry on into the rest of the population and not just for the under sixes Mm. And I mean, there are there are challenges to it. You know, I remember um, working in Canada, where there were people that, you know, were not using the services appropriately, mm-hmm. and so you know, it meant that there were backlogs and abuses or whatever. Yeah. And, and it's just because they, you know, they've always had it, uh. and they, and it, instead of a privilege, it feels like a right. Yeah. And, and 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 so there is the the downside of it. Sure. Um, but I think from a point of view of you know, the respect yeah. and dignity of each individual. Yeah. You know, if if you're basing your healthcare system on that, then universal healthcare is kind of the right way to biggie. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So, so where you are at now, do you mm. think that, like, when you, you're you about to enter back into GP practice, is that mm-hmm. what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. So um, that's going to be a very exciting GP practice. I mean, you're not going to be able to not apply all the things that you've learned. Yeah. Like, yeah. have you got a, a, a strong kind of defined image in your head of, of, of how it's going to look, of how things are going to work? Yeah, yeah like I the space. I'm about the space. Yeah, space. yeah particularly actually, yeah. Well, actually, I, uh, I yeah, have been spending quite a bit of time thinking about the space, and it's interesting, I just was watching a TED Talk last week, and I can't remember the name of the woman, but um, I'll, I'll we'll let you guys know what it is after. <laughs> but she was, uh, she's in design, and she was talking about how her, her work is on how do we create a feeling of joy in a mm. space. 
and uh, she's broken it down into a number of things. You know, it's color, it's a splattering of lots of little things, it's mm -hmm. around objects. You know, so I think that there is, uh, there is, um, you know, knowledge out there about like how method. you can create yeah. a space yeah. that feels like that. So, uh, you know, I guess wh what I'm starting to look into now is what is it that patients would feel makes a space feel compassionate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of the exploration that I'm on right now. Is it, uh, you know, is it color? Is it uh, smell? Is it, yeah. you know? Um, and I imagine it's going to be quite diverse because, like, if you yeah. look at even like incense, some people are just yes. they want none yeah. of it, and some people want yes. all of it, and most people aren't in between. Yes. They're usually yeah. either side of the fence. So it's yeah. difficult to find a really inclusive model for mm. that, is it? Mm. I think exactly. A huge thing is is also like when you're thinking about going to see a doctor or you're going to the hospital, the thing that scares most people is that feeling of the medicalized area that you're in and that fear of, okay, yeah. then that means like machines and it's like a lot of antiseptic, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and spaces that are necessarily kind of linear because it's easier to clean or to keep clean, mm. but it feels inhospitable. Mm. When we think about our homes, they, they're soft and they have cushions and they have soft edges and they have nice diffuser lighting and like yeah. yeah for some people it has nice smells or it has nice music or whatever yeah. so it's trying to bridge that gap between keeping it functional I imagine mm -hmm. and also keeping it a space that doesn't feel clinical exactly exactly so it feels you know I think for us it's going to be important to have I think people do want to feel that when they go into a, a GP surgery that it's clean really? because yeah, yeah. cleanliness, you know, is so that's important. So you do need to have a little bit of, you know, that we white. We'll pull to the ambulance in a second. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't. Anyway, all right. But at the same time, you don't want it to be all white and grey. Yes. Yeah. You know, in in this lovely TED talk, she was saying, you know if these are the things that give us joy and she had loads of pictures of color and round mm. things and clusters of things and mm. natural things uh, and then she shows us this is where we live in these skyscrapers mm. with you know lots of paved roads mm. and not a lot of green so um, uh, but as you say you know a lot of this might be individual and Super. you see that even in you know trying to provide compassionate care to an individual mm it's very different for different people. Yeah. Go, explore, so, uh, yeah, um, no, finish exploring the space thing first, because mm, that's, uh, that's mm, next on my list, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it, it's kind of trying to, I think, find what most people yeah. would find is comfortable. Yeah. And uh, so, like, we were having discussions, myself and my colleagues, about music. Mm. You know, music or no music, what kind of music, mm. you know, is, is and even like among the three of us, we go, oh God, I wouldn't want to listen to that, yeah, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. so terrible. we found it very hard to kind of think about that. Right. So this is, so this is part of the research that I'm doing now mm. is, you know, is there research on, you know, what type of music is most appealing or yeah. calming to mm. most people? Now, yeah. maybe it, you might not get everybody, but trying to, yeah, yeah. But also, like, not everyone's going to come to your practice, right? Exactly. You're going to get your tribe of people that exactly. fit with you. So, yeah, there's no way that you can be all things to all people. You have mm. to go. This is me. This is the practice that I'm setting yeah. up, and and this is for the people who are calling for this. Yes. And then there are always going to be people on either end who aren't calling for that, Absolutely. who actually are happy with the way that it is, or who are never going to be happy with whatever Absolutely. way it is. <laughs> and you know, it, and everybody's priorities are a little different. So, for example, in the practice I had in Canada. Uh, I recruited um, one, another woman to, uh, we, we were sort of both working part-time, and there were a few other GPs in the practice, um, but I was trying to do some more care of the elderly work, so she was coming to uh, sort of fill in some of the some of the gaps, uh, so that I, because I couldn't be in the clinic as often, okay. and um, we had completely opposite styles okay. in a lot of ways. I mean, she was very compassionate, but in a very different way, extremely time efficient, uh, get to the nub of the answer right away. So it was very interesting to see how the patients gravitated mm. one way or the other. Yeah. So if they were people that, you know, 
time was really important and they didn't like sitting in the waiting room. They're like, phew, thank God Jane is gone. This is great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they I'm went kidding. to Margaret. Okay, I don't know exactly. That, but I'm guessing this is wrong. But yeah, so I would I would all I would have to I would struggle with trying to keep on time because I you know, if somebody says to me at the end of the consultation, you know, and by the way, you know, I'm just really upset because my daughter XYZ, yeah. you know, I think, you know, it's important to spend that five minutes mm, yeah. talking about that because this might actually be the, the really root cause. Mm. Um, so I always feel that it's time well invested. And when I come in and to my next patient and I say, I'm, I apologize, I'm a little bit late, uh, but sometimes things come up and, you know, if ever something comes up like that for you, I'll be there for you. Oh, <laughs> and that's, really and that's kind of how yeah. I, I try to excuse myself. Okay, <laughs> but, you know, time can be a very, very critical thing for a lot of people uh -huh. and some people just they, they find it hard to, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. to forgive that. Yeah, <laughs> so um, when it comes to compassion for different people, mm. so in Ireland, well, there's, you know, the stereotypes all over the place, obviously, but in Ireland, we have like a very strong cultural stereotype of a man who's kind of like, you know, doesn't really share the emotions mm. when he's upset from maybe having a pint with the lads. Yeah. And even then it's kind of like done in a joking way. Mm. And he probably doesn't want anyone to pry into his kind of background any more than he's really willing to give and you yeah. very guarded thing. and then there's some people who just really want to be enabled to, to, to speak up more yeah how do you like how can you train for that mm. I mean like that's it, that's vocational isn't it? that's yeah. like whether people are in the right or the wrong job yeah kind of it's very difficult I mean there are uh, like uh, there are all kinds of things you can do to actually train yourself to be more compassionate and we can talk about I could talk about that for yeah. <laughs> yonks um, but uh, you know in the end of the day different people when they come in front of you there isn't a formula mm -hmm. so for example when we're teaching medical students you know we, we've tried in the medical profession to try and give young doctors guidance on how to deal with these things but there's always this you know you have to have the wisdom of experience to know how to apply them even when you have really good well set out rules so yeah. for example uh, if often as a physician you're going to have to break some bad news to somebody you know mm. so we have a, an approach of how to break bad news and so you ask them you know is there anybody with you today would you like them in the room so that they're going to have support and and, <laughs> and there's the whole delivery but sometimes they they don't realize the students that they are applying this in the wrong situation or that they're not taking it just this way or that way for this particular individual yeah. and so you know so you can the field as you see it sort of exactly use the instinct, so. and, it, and it's really kind of getting into that other person's shoes yeah. you know um, and so uh, you know I, I think so far in medical education we have relied more on this kind of you know this is how you do it so for example in the patient-centered clinical method we uh, use Fife feelings ideas function expectations so okay. how, how do you feel about the situation what are your ideas about your illness how is it affecting your function in daily life and what are your expectations of this business okay. uh, and they are all very good things to ask yeah, yeah. but it's at what point in in the conversation do you ask the question yeah. so do you at the end yeah. of the interview go what are your feelings about this yeah. what are your ideas about this? how is your function you know do you sound like a robot yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean uh, and uh, and so you know I, I, it's important to gra get yeah. those things but it's how you do it and and this is how you know the next level that we need to get to in teaching our young physicians and, and it's a lot of practice eh? I mean, yeah. it's a lot of like life experience and just practice like exactly. in doing lots of those types of But it's also about like how do you relate to yourself, isn't it? It's yeah. a lot about learning like are you actually able to show compassion for yourself in your daily life mm. and then can you translate that because we learn that ability to be compassionate for others by experiencing yeah. us being compassionate to ourselves and then practicing compassionate to those people around us and if you're then put into that work situation where there is a time constraint and you're meeting this person and the next minute there's someone else's completely different situation than another one mm. and you're having to quickly shift into those gears mm -hmm. it's hard to be mindful of bringing up that experience yeah. and doling it out in a way that's appropriate but also still being compassionate to yourself at the same time it's a lot to manage it's a lot to manage it's a super Absolutely. challenge isn't it super challenging I mean, even if my even my tiny little world of like short health consultations in the shop floor but it can be like 20 of them 30 yeah. of them in a day and sometimes it's kind of like coffee machine's broken i've got a cold 
five orders to do. I have a husband high cholesterol. You know, and, and just it, it, yeah. it's it, like shifting gears like that is yeah. incredibly difficult I mean, for any human being. And, yeah. and, and imagine GP practice, it's the same, if not tougher. I mean, like the, the health conditions you're dealing with are significant, like every yeah. single one of them. Yeah, and you know, uh, I, I was teaching a course called Early Patient Contact with first year medical students where I was getting patients to come in and talk about the experience of illness so that, uh, you know, uh, students yeah, could yeah. see not just, you know, this is what happens in the heart, the yeah, yeah, yeah. but like this is what it's like to live with mm. heart disease or uh, and whatnot to kind of help them build that wisdom in a kind of vicarious way, you know. Um, but you can see, I don't know where I was going with that, I lost Passion to themselves, maybe? Yes. And like maintaining that, that center. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, this is something that we're not really particularly getting at the nub of mm. because it is, you know, generally physicians, this is a big generalization, but often physicians are insecure over achievers. Okay, you know, yeah. Well, they've, they've necessarily had to be for yeah. the first part, part of their life to anyway. get through it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, and a lot of the things that they learn in medical school are about dealing with pressure and dealing uh. with stress, but we don't necessarily do a great job of giving them the tools. It's just kind of like the leaving cert. People will say, you know, well, the leaving cert teaches kids how to deal with stress. Well, no, actually, no. it puts them through stress. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, they figure out some way side. to yeah. deal with it. We're it's not actually teaching them how yeah. to cope with stress. Oh. And so this is something we need to be a little bit better at because uh, there is a lot to process yeah, yeah, yeah. as a physician. And I, and I say to them in this course, this is where I was going with it, <laughs> is, you know, Generally, when people come in to see you as a physician, they're not having their best day. Yeah. And so you have to, yes. you, you're taking on a lot of this stuff, and you mm. have to be able to um, process it and let it, mm. you know, uh, work it through it, and then put it to one side yeah. and be able to go home and not have it. You know, not have a, a number of monkeys on your and, back. And I imagine a lot of those things do do bleed into people's personal lives, and we know that in every in every work yeah. Uh, yeah. Our line of work, but particularly when it comes to dealing with human health, and you're going to, yeah. yeah, you're picking up a lot of people's other, you know, not negativity, but their their necessary kind of like insults to their physiology and what mm. that's knocked on into the rest of their life. It's, I mean, we, we have a um, a thing in the shop we come to try and remind ourselves, you know, when when somebody is comes across as impatient or there's kind of a, a negative interaction that seems to be started by a customer like well often you're dealing with somebody who's got like like they're here because they need mm -hmm. help with their health like mm -hmm. by and large you know and, and and just put yourself in the in that moment where you you lost your keys your mm. son is sick at home you've been called for whatever and then yeah. and then you're required to deal with a human being in front of you from yeah. first principles and then you're not going to be your best self yeah. you're just not yeah and it's um, hard to keep those boundaries because i mean it's the same uh, all, <clears throat> all our professions have have crossovers but i'm sure it's the same in other ways like in yoga classes you get people coming in they want to chat to you at the end <clears throat> sometimes you can't because you're rushing to another class sometimes you can or maybe people coming in late or mm. wanting to leave early mm. or they're not happy with it oftentimes for example <clears throat> if you're teaching a regular yoga class you get a lady coming in who says at the beginning oh by the way i'm <clears throat> i'm t seven weeks pregnant it's okay if i stay for the class and everyone feels differently about that but as a pregnancy teacher I wouldn't feel comfortable with them being in my regular class mm. and, and insurance wise you can't get insurance for under 14 weeks anyway so that's mm. another reason mm. um, and so I would say no sorry you know I know you really want to come and thank you for coming but you can come to one of my pregnancy classes from 12 weeks or 14 weeks dependent mm. on the studio and people get very disgruntled by that and mm. often they would say but I've been to my GP and my GP says yoga is fine mm. Mm. and then you have this conversation where you say if it has your GP been to my yoga class do they know what this yoga they mm. mean generically yoga is good for pregnancy that's true mm. yeah, but yeah, yeah. what's going to happen in this class where I'm teaching a core class mm. right now it's not appropriate for you at this yeah, stage yeah, yeah. right I'm going to I'm going to go out to my GP and write you a letter um, <laughs> and say that right. I'm okay to come to this class and you have this interaction where you're trying to you see it from from their shoes they love yoga they are having a tough time early yeah. pregnancies are really hard mm. it can be really hard mm. Mm. and they just want to have this time for themselves that they've carved out and you're yeah. telling them no I, I can't give you that time mm. and mm. it's hard to interact with them in a way that's sympathetic and then go and teach your class yeah in a compassionate way so mm. that's like my tiny tiny experience of mm. that world mm. it's really hard it takes a long time to learn to be able to put the boundaries in place so you can finish that interaction and within seconds go on 
and mm. give everyone else what they need. And that's essentially what GPs are having to do mm. every second mm. of the exactly, day in yeah. between every interaction. And, and, and you bring up that whole the whole issue of boundaries, which is it, which is really Im important. And I think this is one of the things, like my the study I did for my master's, I, I did long interviews with individual GPs around the themes of compassion and just asked them, you know, what is it? to you, you know, how does it work in, does it help you with your work, does it hinder you in your work, yeah, yeah. what makes it, you know, uh, what makes you more compassionate, what decreases your compassion, mm -hmm. and tell me about, you know, where compassion was important in interaction with the patient, etc. So these are kind of some of the themes that we were exploring, and one of the things that came out was boundaries, and, and, and being, and, and that compassion actually requires you to have boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I think some people think that compassion is limitless, yeah. mm. and that uh, now the, the thing is, is that we we do have this potential for limitless compassion, but whether that's good for the patient yeah. or, or, or the person in front of you, so to just say yes, it's okay, you know, Lay do, it whatever, on me. do whatever you want, <laughs> yeah. um, is that really truly compassionate? Mm. So um, when I was doing You're a lot tough love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes yeah. compassion kind is of. tough love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, you know, Aristotle had uh, uh, wrote uh, about the virtues, and mm. one of the virtues he described was compassion. And all the virtues really are a median between two extremes. Mm -hmm. So compassion is, for example, it's it's a median between indulgence and indifference. Yeah. Hey, cool. Okay, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you think about that, compassion takes on a very different yeah. kind of flavor, doesn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. It's, well, you realize the end point for it yeah. a little bit more, don't yeah. you? Yeah. And I think that uh, that um, uh, I think physicians and sort of the medical world has been a little bit hesitant about that word compassion, and it's written everywhere. Like Hippocrates wrote about it. You mm. know, everybody's writing about how important it is, but then the actual practice of it is so challenging, and. Uh, and we haven't kind of explored it enough that we can really say truly what it is yeah. in, in, in medicine, and and we don't know how to enact it really well within. And and I think some physicians kind of recoil a little bit from it because they're like, I can't give any more. Yeah. I can't give any more. Yeah. Uh, I'm already up to my eyes. How can I be compassionate on top of that? Mm. Um, and, and you know, I think if we if we spend a little bit more time exploring what it was and realized actually. It is this really important balance between indulgence and indifference, mm. because what happens for a physician, you know, one of the doctors I um, I interviewed was described this very well. He said, you know, you go in as a medical student and you have to, uh, you know, deal with anatomy, and you have your first cadaver, mm. and. Okay, you have to kind of deal with the fact that there's a dead person there, and this wasn't a live person, and mortality, and yeah. all of that. And you deal with that, and then and then something changes a little bit, and then, you know, you go on and you you experience your first, you know, you something pretty big happens. You know, your first patient dies, first mm. time you see something tragic happening, and you, you know, again Shallow. there's a shift, and there is a tendency to just mm. put up a wall mm. in order to deal with this. And you know, the more pressure there is, the more you know. This is a it's a, it's a normal self-protective mechanism. Yeah, yeah, mechanism. Yeah, course, yeah. So to actually, so and then there becomes this mythology of to be good, you have to be tough. Yeah. Hey, you okay. know, yeah. you have to be tough to get. I feel like that's a country western yeah, song. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's a theme through most of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and so it's really kind of. Uh, being able to say, well, you know what, you're doing yourself a disservice, mm. you're doing your patients a disservice mm. Mm. by putting up that wall. What you need to do is do the work that's required to to be able to kind of um, access your wisdom mm. and access the patient's wisdom. Mm -hmm. I think that's the other thing, you know, you're, it, there is also a, a, a power dynamic that happens mm -hmm. in the patient-doctor relationship. Mm. You know, patient is coming in with feeling not on their best day, yeah. they feel vulnerable, they don't know what to do, they're coming to you for help. So instantaneously there's a power differential. Yeah. And as a physician, you you can use that power wisely yeah. to guide people, mm -hmm. maybe to make decisions that they are finding difficult to make because you know, or the evidence says, you yeah. know, <laughs> as in Western, that this would most likely help them feel better. Uh -huh. But uh, you, know, you have to bring them along in a way that it's comfortable for them. Yeah. 
So for example, smoking cessation, you know, mm -hmm. like smoke, quitting smoking is hard. And mm -hmm. so having the conversation in the right way, you know, at the right time, uh, you know, that takes a lot of wisdom yeah. in order to help people kind of make those. Rather than just be the same voice as every other voice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here, read the pamphlet. You yeah. Know, there's this, there's that, you know. Uh, it, it's really quite challenging. And we don't respond well naturally to going into a situation where we're feeling vulnerable and, and we feel like there's us and there's them. Mm. And then being told information and not feeling like we're being listened to or being valued. Exactly. And when you have a great GP that manages to make you feel like you're coming in on a level yeah. and you're asking for help but they don't feel like they're above you, yeah. that's a huge part of it, isn't it? That's Absolutely. like the first step into feeling like you're being heard. Yeah. Sort of like good parenting in a way, isn't it? Kind of like identifying and coming to that level but still having a, not a distance, but such a, like a, an, an awareness that you are the person standing there with something that they can get something from mm -hmm. mm. and they have to you have to kind of like allow them to opt in or like give yeah. them that kind of like and being aware and and being aware at the, in that same moment that you you can be open to the learning yeah yeah, yeah as yeah, well yeah, that yeah. it has yeah, to yeah, be this two-way thing yeah and so long i think when people feel like the other person listening is a hearing them correctly and also is open to the fact that they can they can learn from that. Yeah. That feels really different. Like yeah. I have a great, great GP in Greystones called Dr. Nick Breen. He's like you, oh, can never, you can never <laughs> you can never get his appointments, but he's great. Um, and he really well he's primarily my son's GP, but I also go to him. And what is so great is the way that I always parent my son is that we just talk to him on a level and we, we just tell him the truth and there's none of this kind of, oh, you're going to go into the doctor, here's a birdie, jab you with an injection mm -hmm. and then just like distract you. Yeah. So when I first went to Nick, I was like, please just, if you're going to look in his mouth, tell him that you're going to look in his mouth, tell him what you're doing at that mm. moment and just be honest and tell him why you're doing it, give him mm. reasons and then he'll be really compliant with you. But if you start trying to distract him, that's not going to go mm. great for you. Mm. And Nick was really good about just listening and going, okay, I hear what you've said mm. and I see where you're doing it and maybe I can learn from an interaction with this kid and his interactions with me. Maybe I can learn something about mm. how he is. Mm. And my son just loves it. Mm. You know, he doesn't, mm. he just goes in, there's no fear. Okay, you're going to do this, some weird thing that's going to happen and he's just completely compliant to it. Yeah. And at the same time, he brings a sense of fun. So yeah. he's doing the fun stuff like making the, is it speculum? What's the face? Speculum? The, the no. spatula. Spatula thingy. Yeah, yeah. Like draws a little face on it yeah. and stuff. But he's not mm. going like, over here, yeah. jab it in. Yeah. He's yeah, like yeah, yeah. making it funny, making the experience fun. So yeah. he relaxes, and then he's relaxed his mouth, mm. and then he can open it. But yeah. he's got a function out of it. It's yeah. not yeah. distraction. Yeah. It's respectful. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, um, the linchpin of that relationship, isn't it, is respect that needs to go both ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the things that came out in that uh, in that study that I did was that respect is huge. Mm. Mm. So it's it's being non-judgmental. Yeah. Like, uh, and it, and it's challenging because. You know, as a physician, you're kind of taught to make judgments sure. in order to be able to, you know, yeah. to. So it's being, uh, it's uh, sort of judging the medical problem, but not judging the not patient, person, yeah. and showing uh, total and uh, ultimate respect, which is which is tough when you've, you know, you've gone through medical school, you think yeah, you're pretty kind of a hot shot, yeah. hot shot, you know, <laughs> uh, and no, actually, uh, you know, the best physicians are the ones that are not. Yes. You know, putting yeah. themselves above the uh, above the uh, the patient. So yeah. it's respect. It's it's also, you know, it's it's really saying, look, you know, this is happening in the space of suffering generally, mm. and you know, this is what suffering is. That's another mm. thing. Like, yeah. well, suffering is different than sort of having an illness or being sick. Mm -hmm. Suffering is it, it is it's all about kind of. You know what we believe is happening to us. It's the how you know uh, our fears of mortality. You know all these uh. kind of things. So it it so we don't really talk about suffering yeah. in medicine. We talk about what the illness is, what the diagnosis is, what the symptoms are. Yeah. So I think we could do more as far as that. Um, and really understanding too that you know this is about a relationship between two people, mm. like yeah. that. Uh, uh, and you know your relationship is part of the process of healing yeah. uh, and uh, and that is a very that's a, a different kind of that's the thing I wanted to ask you next actually. yeah so so where are there are there studies and I know, I know there are but can you talk a little bit about studies that show that where compassionate intervention or uh, interventions that look at the whole person in terms of mental well-being etc have augmented 
the medical outcomes? Mm -hmm. Are there mm -hmm. lots of them? Are there very there, few? There are, like there is, uh, there's a, a, you know, one of the first studies that was done on, you know, with a compassion intervention was mm. done uh, in the States in an A&E department and um, it involved people who uh, were frequent visitors to the emergency room and uh, often, you know, had problems with homelessness and okay. whatnot. And they, they had kind of compassion interventions, which involved really kind of having them connect with, uh, uh, I think it was mostly a social worker, okay. uh, to really look into what the situations were and have some follow-up relationship with that person and indeed they found that you know these people ended up coming to the emergency room less well, you know so uh, and there's another study just with the common cold and physicians showing empathy like did did they show empathy in the consultation just for the common cold and the you know the time of the common cold was reduced mm. you know in, the, in in patients who saw a physician who was emp right. empathetic so, so there yeah. there is there is and and there are kind of uh, studies that maybe they don't call it compassion maybe mm. they call it empathy maybe they call it other things but you can see that a compassionate approach has been taken yeah or a patient-centered approach uh, is, is kind of another catchphrase and you do see that there are results yeah so and so can you talk about the, the the overlap between compassion and the placebo effect a little bit is there mm. because that's I mean because it's something that doctors are taught to kind of put aside it's like yeah. it's a thing that's mm. kind of D whatever it's given less weight in, in study results it's yeah. taught to kind of be very frustrating when it comes to, to, yeah. comes to studies and uh, like but it obviously necessarily compassion is that ability for people to feel better because somebody's maybe listening to them or whatever and mm. like where does that crossover begin and end like well I think there is I, I think there is something because I think you know the placebo effect is about I have gone I've gone to see somebody mm. I've had a conversation about what's going on they've given me something and all of that that process of you know unloading your burden mm -hmm. having a discussion mm. uh, feeling that you've got hope you know yeah. that this may be something all of those things are important in the healing process yeah. and so I think there is definitely an overlap between the placebo effect and compassion because a lot of what compassion is uh, you know involves those those different things you yeah know? yeah um, I think we look at, we know a lot that stress response lowers the immune system right and that stress mm. response is kind of a big bracket isn't it it can mm. be like sadness it can be like anger mm. it can be frustration mm. so it seems natural to conclude that if you felt like you were being heard that you were being cared for that someone was making you feel better about the situation more hopeful about the situation that would naturally be the antithesis yeah. of the stress response lowering the immune system yeah. and so then therefore the immune system might kick into gear might work a little bit better and time lengths might be shorter yeah yeah absolutely and uh, they, like uh, a lot of when i was interviewing the gps they recognized this that they recognized that you know that um all of these things uh, do have a and this is why one of the reasons why they feel compassion is effective so they talk they talk about you know uh, uh, the kind of things that people need like hope uh, and that, the, that providing hope is is a, is a form of compassion but then they also talk about the things that you know impede them so you know uh, one of the big things they were talking about was Pandora's box mm. you know yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You start with one thing and just yeah. You start with one thing and you you realize that there is something else going on there mm. that needs to get to that deeper level, uh, and it's usually a the phrase psychosocial issue. You know, it's something relate not you know maybe not on the physical side, but it's the emotional or the social side of what's going on that's mm. contributing to the whole picture, and. A lot of physicians don't feel confident in uh, in dealing with those issues. They don't feel maybe as skilled, uh, especially when they're younger and yeah. just fresh out. I think over time, a lot of them do feel that they have more skills than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and they, but there's also this fear of if I go there, all the stuff is going to come out. <laughs> I'm going to have to feel that I can deal with it. Yeah. And oh, geez, you know, I'm and already ten minutes away. behind. Wow. <laughs> Uh, and so that that can be a real you know impediment mm. to compassion yeah. so 
Can can you speak a little bit about your own tools when you're as a GP? How do you how do you manage? I mean, you were we were talking a little bit off camera that you were like you, you practice yoga a little bit. What like where did you pick those tools from, and what tools what serves you best now? Do you find and like have you got a really it seems like you do to be honest but do you, have, you got a, have you got a good kind of like positive relationship between your work and home life and how, mm. how do you decharge those stresses the feast yeah. of emotions and stresses that you have to deal with yeah well I think that was kind of one of the drivers for me to try and uh, get it get get to the bottom of all yeah. of this was to try and figure out how I could actually uh, nurture that so mm. for me I um, you know I have a meditative practice uh, you know Uh, you know, taking care of my own stuff at home with my family. Yeah. So work-life balance is very important to me. And, you know, being a GP full-time is very, very stressful uh, to do that work day in, day out. For mm -hmm. So for me, I found that doing it part-time is better. And okay. so in Canada, I was work care of the elderly, which some people would say, oh, my God, that's yeah. like going from the frying pan into the fire. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, it, it, it's, it's, it's somewhat different in that you have, you know, generally in the, the, your consultations aren't time pressured. Kay. So, yes. you, you know, you can go into the nursing home and you can spend, you Shed know, more part. time. Yeah. yeah there, uh, so that's, so that's, that takes that stress off. And, uh, you know, generally the approach is so holistic in, uh, in geriatrics. It's about really, you have to know the whole person to understand yeah. where to go. And it's complicated and it's messy and that's why some people find it challenging. Yeah. But I think that because it's kind of okay to go there, that kind of takes some of the pressure off of me. And and, uh, and just the pace, it's a little bit different. Uh -huh. And also, it's, I imagine it's not all about fixing at yeah. that stage. Yeah. It's about like honesty and facing the reality and finding that joyfulness or like yeah. maximizing potential within situations. So that's yeah. naturally more compassionate and holistic based, yeah. isn't it? Because it's yeah. like, well, how can we maximize this experience that you're in right yeah. now, so like rather than like, how can solution. I fix this yeah. and then get you out the door? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, it was interesting when I was asking, you know, this is one of the questions I was asking the GPs in this uh, other study, and there were sort of three areas where they kind of that where how they talked about how um, uh, <laughs> how how compassion <laughs> evolves or or devolves within themselves and so they talked about motivation so what what was it that motivated them mm -hmm. so part of it was this knowledge that actually I see the benefit when yeah, I yeah. am compassionate okay. I see the benefit cool. Uh, and so yeah. I can be more effective, mm -hmm. and patients seem to want it. Mm -hmm. You know, Excellent. so th those are motivating. Yeah. But it's a lot of it also came from their own value systems. Okay. So they talked about, you know, this is um, sort of living by the golden rule. Mm -hmm. You know, I treat people as you would like to be treated. But actually, taking it even to a higher level, which is because you know, obviously, how you might like to be treated for one particular illness may not be the way I want to be treated. So it's in the sense of I want to be treated with compassion, and so I'm going to treat you with okay, compassion. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, the yeah. details mm. are are going to be different. Oh, so, mean, yeah. I uh, so the platinum rule really, uh, you know, treat others as they would wish to be treated. Yeah. You yeah. know, but with cool. wisdom. So, because sometimes they don't always really know yeah. what's best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. With all those little caveats. Uh, so, uh, so they, you know, they talked a lot about how they ca how they develop those values, and a lot of them said, you know, this is one of the main reasons why I went into medicine mm -hmm. was to help others. Okay. Uh, and um, you know, not all not all physicians go in with that, but I think mm -hmm. a lot of them do, and some of them over time lose touch with that. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. And some of them, you know, it's quite it an evolves. isolated thing, isn't it, from a general practice? Because you're not in yeah. hospital as well. You're not. You're yeah. kind of in your well, own world, yeah. and you can yeah. kind of like run your practice as you see fit and. So kind of who do you work with is important. Yeah. So like uh, a, a lot of them talked uh, about, you know, who they who they were in their practice with, if they were in a group practice, could mm -hmm. they kind of defrag at the end of the day mm -hmm. and in a confidential manner say, look, I had this situation and I didn't know, you know, and this happened. And, uh, and that's, we don't do enough of that. Yeah. Kind of downloading. Um, and allowing yourself to appear human to other people yeah. who we respect in that yeah. sort of professional yeah. peer level, which yeah. I'd imagine, particularly in the medical community, yeah. is probably quite 
you know one of the things i found was when i was actually doing these interviews it ended up being quite a significant session for the people who was interviewing because they were unloading a lot of stuff that they hadn't unloaded to other people so i asked them to say to describe an experience where compassion played a central role in their interaction with the patient and there were tears you know and uh... uh... you know i remember uh... one of the fellows that uh... i interviewed talking about a young girl that he had you know she had come into his practice uh... after his mom had you know delivered her and he'd known her all this time taking care of her as she'd been growing up and then in her twenties developed breast cancer and he cared for her and palliated her and and you know to have known her through her whole life and uh... and never been able to really properly say goodbye so you know so you know i i think as physicians we don't always have you know the sort of forum to actually process a lot of that stuff so one of the things that I've been teaching uh, in in the medical school is kind of how to reflect mm-hmm. uh, as kind of, you know, uh, there, there are things coming into medicine like, you know, mindfulness and, yeah. and this kind of thing. Uh, but I think some of some of what we need to, to sort of give them this, the tools to do is to be able to take those situations and say, okay, wow, I feel really emotionally overwrought right now. This is a point of reflection for me, you know, whether it's something that went wrong, the patient's angry at me. or they're just regular listeners who are wanting to know how can they improve their ability to be compassionate both to themselves and to others. Are there textbooks that you would say that would be good to read or are there places that they should reach out to? What are the first steps? Hmm. Check the ringtone on your phone too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm <yawning> you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, there, um, I think the first thing is kind of, yeah, like, Doing some reading is is fantastic. One of the books that um, I found amazing was Paul Gilbert's uh, book called The Compassionate Mind. Okay, sure. um, and he's a uh, psychologist who has developed kind of compassion therapy. Okay. And so he spent a lot of time thinking about compassion and what it is, and uh, has a has a beautiful kind of model that kind of helps you realize why we struggle a little bit maybe with compassion in, in our in our daily lives. Um, so he he so that, that that would be one of my recommendations. Um, I could go on forever about his. Say, it, yeah, yeah. Just like Does he draw that Aristotle thing <laughs> as well? That spectrum of compassion indulgence yeah, thing. Well, or? actually, what he he kind of he has a fantastic model where he says, look, he looks at our neurochemistry. Mm-hmm. So looking at it from a very kind of neurochemical kind of way, what happens in our in our brains, and he says, you know, the compassion neurochemical is oxytocin mm-hmm. which is you know the, the hormone that comes yeah. out when hugging mo- mo- etc yeah, exactly and then we also have kind of like the fright or flight you know mm-hmm. adrenaline situation going on and then we also have the dopamine which is the reward system mm-hmm. and he says in in western society really our our dopamine is on overdrive mm-hmm. it's like must have you need more of this you know buy 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 do 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 you know you've got to be prettier you've got to be, you know you got to be all these things right sort of you know we're being assaulted in our dopamine system and then fear you know oh my god the world's going to hell in the handbasket trump's mm-hmm. at the head of the you yeah. know us you know there's bad news everywhere yeah. and we're already kind of negatively primed you know we're primed out of you know survival instincts. It's so to, interesting that, isn't it? To notice all yeah, the negative. Because that's right? how we've survived, and that's why the other guys didn't survive. Exactly. Because we saw the bad thing first, and we yeah. ran away first. Yeah. 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 And I, I loved. I, Paul gave a great example at one of his um, one of the talks I was at of his, where he said, you know, if you go Christmas shopping, you go into ten shops, and every shop assistant is lovely except for one. What do you go home and talk about? You talk about the one assistant <laughs> who yeah. was horrible to you. Yeah. yeah. You know. Horrendous. Uh, and so. We are we're already primed that way, and our world around us is is also amplifying that you know the news and everything, and so and and our our oxybutin our, our oxytocin is is kind of is probably the least well nourished you know we're mm. we're not spending as much time with each other one to one in community, um, you know, and so he says basically you know you need all of those three things to be healthy. Um, but 
we need to be able to kind of tone down those two and okay. boost up our yeah. uh, uh, our, our connection. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's you know it's just a very wonderful way of yeah, uh, of clear, thinking exactly. about it. It's kind of like doshic as well. I'm really curious yeah. about where that might cross over with the yeah, whole doshic model thing. I wonder. Anyway, I was curious. Yeah. 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 And it's, it, it has so many. I mean, I, we could talk about it for a long time. But it has such, so many implications for why birth is going the way that it is and why there are problems with breastfeeding and all these things. Mm -hmm. Because we just don't have the natural levels of oxytocin. And then uh -huh. we need to get to a point where we need to amp them up in our body mm -hmm. naturally in order to open mm -hmm. the cervix or in order to make milk production or bond with the baby or have mm -hmm. that let down reflex that happens. Mm -hmm. We don't have that natural thing. It's not mm -hmm. sitting there at that level. So trying to suddenly gear yourself you into know, it into mm. it that's very hard to switch isn't yeah. it and you know there's stress and yeah. expectation and, and all of this kind of stuff that's you know getting your other <laughs> neurochemicals yeah. all mm. out of whack you know so um, we so need to sit into yeah. our oxytocin phase right? mm. we, we need, need to, to sit find into our oxytocin phase so uh, you know i think there's uh, aside from kind of like you know we talked a little bit about kind of your motivation but it's also your capacity so to really bring up your capacity it's about taking care of yourself mm. as you're saying so self-compassion you know giving yourself the time to <laughs> smell the roses, mm. you know, exercise, eat well, but also to expose your mind to things that are, that open the doors to compassion rather than kind of, there is a lot of stuff out there for us to feed ourselves, that yeah. feed our minds that is not healthy. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, music, art, you know, all of these things. Burning Man. Burning Man. <laughs> whatever, whatever comes your way. Whatever comes your way. <laughs> you just so, stumble upon <laughs> it. <laughs> exactly. But all, you know, a lot of the physicians were saying, these are the things that make me feel compassionate. If mm -hmm. I read a good book, if I have that walk in the park, if I, you know, I feel like those stores are, are refilled. Mm -hmm. And it's there, and it's also, it's like those experiences you have over time of caring as well. Like, you know, they talked about, you know, oh, when my granny was ill and she was living with us and that experience was so important in my understanding of how to be empathetic mm. uh, so you know taking advantage of those opportunities uh, to kind of learn from them and, and learn how to be wise you know yeah. Um, yeah. so I think that's that's the other thing that's and good. then and it's then that's that ability to connect so how do we connect and uh, you know it's dealing with all that time, mm. learning the skills, those basic skills like, you know, making direct eye contact, mm. you know, what is your body language, yeah. you know, uh, how, uh, you know, and, and all those kind of more uh, external things. Um, and, and then understanding relationship and understanding people. I think it's becoming, you know, you really need to become a um, sort of a, Sherlock Holmes of human nature mm -hmm. like you you know because people experience illness and uh, you know uh, in different ways and to really look at the person in front of you as an incredible mystery mm. that you are trying to unravel in some way and that's yeah. exciting and that's exciting yeah, 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 yeah. what is it you know and even even that person who comes in yelling and screaming at you yeah you're thinking There's instead of going, oh yeah. shit, I did something wrong. I'm going to be yeah. sued. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. it's going. Wow, what is going on mm -hmm. here? Where does that come mm -hmm. from? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and 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 having that. But again, you know, if we haven't been able to kind of take care of ourselves, because you have to have the moment to be able to go, Ooh, how how is yeah. that? What's happening in me? And find that yeah. exciting enough to be able to explore that. And go when this person's shouting at me what's my natural response to that? Am I shrinking yeah. uh, or am I coming out fighting? Yeah. And then and then having the moment of self-reflection to be able to go, oh, oh, I see this happening. Yeah. Yeah. How can I change this in the, in the moment mm. so that I can focus so on this? There's a lot of self-awareness. Mm. Like uh, I, I think you were, you were mentioning that you'd read that one article I'd written and one of the other sort of things that I read that I found really interesting was this whole, you know, why did we, why is compassion important to us as humans? And mm. Uh, that there is this evolutionary advantage to being compassionate yeah. uh, and that's based on the fact that we're social creatures right yeah. and so if I'm good to you you're more likely to be good to me so there's mutual benefits for survival yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but aside from just if I'm good to you you're going to be good to me there's also actually when I'm good to you I feel, I feel better mm. <laughs> yeah. you know um, but th in this one particular article that uh, I was referring to in, in that piece of writing she talks about 
there are these sort of emotional decisions that we make along the way when we're interacting with somebody. So, mm -hmm. you know, are you relevant to me? That's the first one, you know. Okay. Are you part of my tribe? So yeah. if, if you're part of my tribe, you're more likely to be relevant. So it's yeah. easier, obviously, to be compassionate to your child, to your, you know, your friend, yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than to a stranger mm -hmm. or someone who is very different or yeah. very yeah. unusual, yeah, you yeah. know. So it takes, a, a, you know, an additional um, sort of thought of, you know, you're human. Mm. You're human. Yeah. And so therefore you are part of my tribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and if we're not able to do that, then we might be going, hm, I'm glad you fell down and hurt yourself. You yeah. know, if you're not part of my tribe, then, you know, you yeah. know, maybe you're a threat. So maybe it's good that that bad thing has happened yeah. to you. Lessons for Donald Trump. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you should just retitle the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next one is, you know, are you, um, am I able to cope with mm. what you're going to, what, with your suffering? You know, so it's kind of like, oh, okay, what, where am I at? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, if I can cope, if I can't cope with you, then I'm going to be afraid. I'm going to mm. be like my, you know, adrenaline's going to be up, fear factor, yeah. you know, I, I can't cope with this, you know, so, you know, I'm going to, I want to run away from the situation. Yeah, yeah. And, and infectious as well, isn't it? Yeah, mm. absolutely. And, and then, and then the, the fact of deserving. So we do this kind of analysis. You know, do you really deserve my compassion? Mm. So, so that's mean. <laughs> but, it <is> mean. <laughs> but it's so true. But it yeah. is mean because you know you're investing in that person, and mm. if they're not so you know in kind of a non-medical kind of way, mm -hmm. you know if you're part of my tribe, it's worthwhile for me to be compassionate to you. Um, uh, if I think you're probably going to be compassionate to me, so you know I'm going to take care of my kids because yeah. when I'm old, they're going to take care of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so if I've seen something in your behavior or whatever that makes me think, well, I don't know whether you're deserving of my compassion, then I might feel angry if you seem yeah. to be wanting something Okay, yeah, 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 okay. That's really and so, uh, so it, you know, what, what, all those kind of different feelings, if we kind of notice that they're coming up, it's not unnatural to feel them. Yeah. Uh, but to kind of say, oh, I'm feeling fearful. I must actually, I must be feeling tired, and that's why I'm not, I'm not yeah. able to. Uh, or hmm, this person, you know, I've given them this medication, and we've discussed it, and 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 yet they're still not taking it, and like, you know, geez, you know, I, must I have think. Must them in a past life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why? Why What's are they on? doing this? Or you know, uh, you know, I'm only trying to help them, and they're mm. not, you know. Mm. Uh, instead of kind of thinking about, okay, well, there must be a reason. Must be a reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Um, so I, I, I thought that was really kind of interesting, you know, and I think that that's the kind of work that you, if you really kind of can keep, you know, compassion as your focus, those are the kind of things that are going to come up. Cool. Uh, Great. Lovely. Lovely. Okay, so we had one, uh, we were starting just doing your, like, like research references. So was Paul, what was his, his book? Paul Gilbert. Paul Gilbert. Compassionate Mind. Great. Any others? Any other quickies? Um... Uh, that's, a, that's a big one to be that, honest with you. That is yeah, a big a one. I mean, if for the medical things, this um, medicine and compassion was brilliant. Okay. Great. Um, uh, I think the Paul Gilbert one is my favorite one. I mean, yeah. there are there there is just so much written, uh, you know, in Buddhist literature, obviously, yes. that uh, and in in other. There's a, a lovely, um, what is her Karen Armstrong? Okay. You know her? No, I don't. She she. Um, she is sort of a theological writer, and she has uh, developed. She has a book called um, "Living a Compassionate Life" or something like that. And she, you know, she's takes examples from lots of different religions, spiritual traditions, and just finds the common theme. Oh, nice! Oh, nice. Uh, and she just talks a little bit about how oh, nice. how we can all bring com more compassion into our lives. And she has she had a fantastic project, um, uh, which I can't remember exactly what the name of it. We'll but if you look we'll at if you look, out, if yeah. you look at Car Karen Armstrong, because I think that's a really, really beautifully articulated uh, okay. book about compassion and how you can easily bring it into your it's kind life. Kind of universal themes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yay. So if people want to find you. it was so nice. <laughs> so if people want to nice. find you and like as, as a GP or mm -hmm. otherwise, what's mm -hmm. the best way for people? Do you have any kind of are you a presence online in in social media or in other I ways? I do. Or? I do have a Twitter account. Great. Uh, yeah. Uh, we'll stick that into the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been tweeting a lot in the last little while, okay. but you will see some of my stuff coming up there. Is it so. 
saying yeah. Uyghur? Yeah. It is? Great. Yeah. Did I get that okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Will be compassionate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're being very forgiving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Uh, okay. Jayla, cool. we could have talked to you for ages. Really good. And yeah. hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again sometime. Oh, yeah. It would be an absolute pleasure. Absolute yeah. pleasure. Okay. Thank you. Daddy, thank, thank you, you very much. Cheers. Thanks. And for you guys, um, obviously every podcast we do, we um, we like you to come along and, and post comments, whatever, and those ones that we like, we'll be doing another series of giveaways fairly soon of our lovely News S duffel bags, full of loads of goodies from the hop sack and then um, from News S themselves. And uh, yeah, so uh, in the meantime, stay tuned, enjoy, like, subscribe. We're now on Spotify, so you've got Spotify, Yay. iTunes, YouTube, There's wherever. no excuse not to listen to all our podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So exciting. Okay, thanks for watching. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thanks bye. again, Jane. Cheers. My pleasure.